you can live out your MasterChef dream. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark is brought to you by Lightstream, the national online consumer lender that believes that consumers who've established good credit have earned the right to a simple loan process and excellent rate. And by Robinhood, the investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. I'll be back after tonight's first story to tell you a little more about Robinhood and a special offer they have for my listeners this week. And after the second... I'll share some details with you about Lightstream, including how they can help you pay off your high-interest credit card balances and ensure that spooky tales and not unmanageable debt are the only thing keeping you up at night. Until then, go ahead, make sure your doors are locked, and check to make sure your closet doors are shut like they ought to be. That way you'll have some warning when they creak open later. When you're sound asleep. <laughs> Just kidding. Or am I? Stay tuned. <laughs> the show's about to begin. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in. Turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs>
Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 23. I'm your host, Otis Jiry. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing five stories for you about perilous pets, sinister science, horrendous hunger, explosive aftermaths, and the unimagined evils of immortality. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now it's time to get started, so lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale of terror this evening comes to us courtesy of an author who goes by the moniker The Odd Cat Lady. Without further ado, I present to you Housebreaking. God, I did not want another dog. I really did not want another dog. But after I had to put Bill down, there's only so much whining a man can stand, before he finally caves and get his kids a new dog. Of course, they wanted a puppy. And there's not much worse than housebreaking a new puppy. Sure, I'll admit, Sadie's adorable. She was so tiny when we picked her out and she had the biggest brown eyes. She's great with the kids, too. She really bonded with them. But God, is she a pain in my ass. For one thing, she pees everywhere. I can't go anywhere in my house without slipping wherever she's decided to do her business. Not to mention her poop. You know when she's pooped. The whole house can smell it. But you can't find it until you set your foot in it. I'm not sure when it's worse. When I do it with my shoe on and therefore ruin one of my nice shoes, or when my feet are bare and suddenly I feel something warm squish under my foot, the explosion of feces smell hitting every sense at once, making my eyes water and gag reflex kick into overdrive. Yeah, stepping in it barefoot is definitely worse. Then, of course, there's the chewing. Oh, my God, the chewing. My kids never pick up this stuff because, you know, they're kids. And of course, why chew on a Kong when you can ruin a baseball bat or a phone? So many times I've had to deal with my oldest, Lena, crying because her laptop cord is chewed right through or that Jeff's soccer ball was popped by Sadie's sharp teeth. It's not just their stuff, though. It's mine. What shoes of mine weren't covered in dog poop were destroyed. She loves the soles the most, chewing heartily through with the biggest grin on her face when I finally found where she stashed it. I normally just let her have it by then. There's no point in rescuing something that's ruined, after all. She also has the worst howling problem. It's always at night, when the neighborhood's gone dark and everyone's headed to bed. I'm already half asleep, maybe playing some Candy Crush if there really isn't anything else to do, when Sadie kicks up, and when she howls, she howls. It shakes the windows with the force 
like there's a full-grown wolf in the house. It sent shivers down my spine before I realized it's just the damn dog. I kick off the blankets and go to yell at her, to tell her to shut up. She immediately perks up when I'm in the room, her tail wagging and hitting the sides of her crate, not giving a damn about the fact I'm royally pissed off at her. I'd smack her, that's how we did it when I was kids, but Linda chewed me out good for that, told me it would hurt her. I'm pretty sure if a semi-truck hit this miniature beast that she'd bounce away from it with barely a scratch. But I don't want her to report me for animal abuse, so I don't hit Sadie. I scold her, beg her to shut up, just shut up. But not even ten seconds after I leave the room, she starts up again, howling at the top of her lungs. I'd just let her wander the house at night, but I've worked hard to have a nice-looking house, damn it. I don't want to wake up to everything destroyed with piss and her incessant chewing. There's one more real problem. Her issues with strangers and other animals. It's fine when we're out of the house. When I'm walking Sadie and someone passes by, Sadie will happily bark once and then we'll be on our way. It's a whole another story when we have guests over. I have to make sure Sadie's settled in her crate at least an hour before they arrive, or, oh boy. I invited my boss over and his wife for dinner a few nights ago. The wife said they'd be here about six. Apparently, when Joanne says six, she really means 5.30. I'd just put dinner in the oven when I heard the doorbell. I felt my heart sink when Sadie barked and charged. I burnt my hand shutting the oven door when I ran to pull her off the door while she snarled and snapped her teeth. Sadie isn't a tiny puppy anymore. She grew like a freaking tree after we got her. She's bigger than a Rottweiler. Yeah, that's not a welcoming sight. It took all of my strength, plus a few pieces of cheese and salami, to get Sadie to calm down and sit nice in her crate. During the entirety of the following awkward meal, I could hear Sadie quietly growling from the laundry room. I might have rushed my guests out the door a bit fast, but I could hear her chewing at the door to her kennel. And I wasn't kidding about her chewing problem. By the time I got into the laundry room, the top hinge had been chewed clean off. Sadie saw me, and I swear she smiled as she wagged that whip of a tail she has. Luckily, my boss didn't hold it against me. We'd become friends over the years, and I told her that Sadie had some aggression issues with people entering the house. He recommended a few tips to help with that, which I will try, although I doubt they'll work. It's impossible for me to leave the house with a babysitter, too. The whole time, Sadie will be impossible to control. But this I actually understand. I'm still a little hesitant myself. See, a couple of months ago, when Sadie was just a under-Rottweiler size, I'd hired a babysitter off the internet, had a dinner party at a co-worker's house, and no kids were allowed. For the sake of keeping this anonymous, I'm calling the girl I hired Margot. While I was at my date, Margot told my son Jeff she was a photographer, and she'd love to have him model for her. Started off tame, according to Lena, but then she told Jeff to take his clothes off. 
Jeff's only four, maybe five. And honestly, the kid will strip off his clothes at the drop of a hat. He didn't see a problem with this. Lena's eleven. She absolutely gets the problem with this. Lena got into a fight with Margot. I hadn't told her to even bathe my kids, to take naked photos of them, to do God knows what is... Uh, that's beyond me. I'm not sure when Lena thought it was a good idea to let Sadie out of her crate. Maybe Margot threatened her, or maybe Lena was angry, but Sadie was set free to let out her anger on the person who was scaring my kids. When I got home, there wasn't much left of Margot. Minus blood and bits of skin scattered across my bed. Apparently, Sadie had grabbed Margot and dragged her into my room, and from there, one can guess what happened. Lena put her siblings to bed and locked the door, ignoring Margot's screams for help. There wasn't much to clean up, not even bones. While I washed the sheets, Sadie licked the walls clean. Since then, Sadie's eaten two more babysitters. The ones likely that ignore me when I said to avoid the laundry room at all costs. Even though Sadie has these big brown eyes and a wagging tail, she doesn't like strangers. Do not trust her. Do not let her out of the kennel. So yeah, there's all that. Chewing, hating strangers, eating babysitters, peeing on things. And oh yeah, the howling. We really need to work on that howling. She's attracting other dogs. And they keep crapping all over my backyard and ripping up the glass with their claws. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. I hope you enjoyed Housebreaking by the Odd Cat Lady. Up next, we've got a tale from author Anton Scheller about life-changing scientific discoveries and the consequences of knowing far too much. Before we dive into the dismal depths of another terrifying tale, however, let me tell you about today's sponsors, Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, Options and cryptos all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data, and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio. Discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood 
is giving listeners of Scary Stories Told in the Dark a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at scarystories.robinhood.com. Now, without further ado, grab your safety blanket and hold on tight. Our second story tonight is going to make you think twice about the possibility of going back in time to change some of those things you might have done differently. As we're about to see, there are some things far worse than having regrets. Stay tuned. Our second story today comes to us from author Anton Cheller. I present to you, I can show you how to time travel. I've known Guillaume for years. We had the same metaphysics class back at the university, and he was the one that kept my attention away from the lecturer. He was always the clown, and he always had crazy ideas. I thought he was joking when he said he found a piece of ripped-out notebook paper that allows you to look into the future. He said that, of all things, he found it in an old copy of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in the university library. I don't remember the words Guillaume said, but he sounded incredibly excited. The next day, he passed me the slightly yellow paper in a lecture, I remember the topic was whether or not objects exist through time. It was obviously ripped out of a normal notebook. There were the usual punch holes on the left, and the lower part of the page was ripped off. At the top, in capital letters, was the sentence, You can travel through time. The rest of the page was filled with small, tidy block letters, but someone had made an effort to write it all in mirror writing. It was somewhat confusing, but still possible to read. There were a few sentences that sounded like they were advertising time travel, and a series of instructions below them regarding how to achieve it. I don't remember the details, but the gist was this. You were supposed to make a mix of several powders, and then find a strong light source in an otherwise dark area, and carefully draw a line where your shadow fell. In the center of it, there were supposed to be two arrows, not unlike the recycling symbol I've seen in some countries. Two arrows, arranged in a circle, and each pointing toward the end of the other. Then, I think, you are meant to light the whole thing on fire and keep your shadow within the lines. There was no information on what exactly was supposed to happen. All it said was that it would make you understand time and allow you to travel through it. I think at the bottom of the page, where the paper was ripped off, was the beginning of a sentence, and the other part was ripped away. It started with, Make sure the moon, and that was it. Guillaume told me he had looked for the other part, but wasn't able to find it in the Hitchhiker's Guide, or on the shelf where he found the book. Guillaume wanted to try the experiment on the same day, and he had already arranged for most of the ingredients. I remember salt and powdered white chalk, and there were a few other things, but the one thing he wasn't able to get was magnesium. We tried to convince Dakota, a chemist friend of ours, to steal magnesium for us, but she refused, and we couldn't find another way. 
The mix Guillaume had made ended in the trash. I thought the yellow paper ended there, too. I thought that the note was gone, until two weeks ago, when Guillaume texted me. It had been years since I had last spoke to him, and his sentence only contained two words. Guess what? I gave him a call, and Guillaume asked me the same question. I guessed that he was engaged. He laughed and asked me whether I remembered the note, which I didn't until he said that he meant the time travel instructions. Guillaume found the note in one of his old notebooks, and he wanted to give it another try. I laughed. I thought he was joking. And we ended up talking for nearly an hour about the good old times. Then I told him about my awesome-sounding but horribly boring job, and Guillaume told me about his recent breakup. We met up on Friday night, had a great laugh, and just before we said goodbye, Guillaume said that he had all the materials ready and was going to try time travel that night. I was too tired for his jokes, and like an older man in a young man's body, went home instead. In the morning, I had several messages from Guillaume. 12.14 a.m. Gonna try it now. See you in the future, mate. 12.51 a.m. Burned like hell, but not much else happened. Seems like it's still the same day. Damn, I wanted to see whether my wife will be hot. 1.09 a.m. Whoa, dude. I think the fumes got to me. My shadow seems strange. 1.14 a.m. Dude, my shadow moves faster than I do. 1.30 a.m. Listen, this is really freaky. I feel completely sober and I can touch my nose and everything, but my shadow is still strange. It looks as if it's predicting my movements. 1.58 a.m. Okay, I think I'm nuts. My shadow just grabbed a glass off the table long before I did. And then it got up. God, I'm serious. My shadow moved as if I got up and took a few steps. It literally left my feet and was a few steps away until I followed. 2.04 a.m. Damn, man. It's not predicting my movements. It makes me do things. 2.08 a.m. Dude, really? I can't do anything but what the shadow does. I'm not joking. This thing works. This thing freaking works. Two missed calls. 2.16 a.m. Can't reach you. Call me, man. 2.22 a.m. My shadow just went to bed. I see it lying there. I'm still standing in the doorway, but my shadow is already in bed. Can't stop my feet from moving. 8.40 a.m. One missed call. My shadow is not here. I don't have my damn shadow. Holy hell, man, this is scary. Call me. 9.09 a.m. Dude, my shadow was waiting in the shower. I'm not joking. It left the room when I stepped inside, but I couldn't follow it. Now I'm in the kitchen and my shadow is moving near the counter. I think it's making sandwiches. 9.20 a.m. You should try time travel, too. It's awesome. 9.28 a.m. One missed call. I didn't want to write that. 
I wrote that to several people. I didn't want to. Don't do it. Help me. 9.30 a.m. I just left the house. It took something out of its pocket and threw it on the table. I think it was the phone. Please. Cut off. I tried to call Guillaume, but he didn't answer his phone. I only reached him at night, and he behaved normal and said that he was fine and that he was just joking in the morning. We talked for a while, and everything really seemed fine. There were some unusual sounds in his voice, some occasional cracks, as if he was interrupting himself, but he said it was just a rough throat. I wasn't sure what to make of Guillaume's behavior. It was just two days before April the 1st, and I didn't put it past him to play an elaborate prank on an old friend. On Sunday, I texted Guillaume again, but he didn't reply. And on April the 1st, I was proven right. He sent me a bunch of messages, one after the other. 11.03 a.m. Call me. 11.03 a.m. I need to show you something. 11.04 a.m. You won't regret it. 11.05 a.m. I can show you how to do time travel. Call me. 11.05 a.m. This is awesome, man. Call me, or, or better even come over. 11.06 a.m. Guillaume called me. I didn't see his messages until after the phone conversation, but the conversation was nearly the same as his messages. He kept repeating that he'd traveled in time and that he wanted to show me how to do it. Come over, Guillaume said again and again. You really need to try this. Guillaume seemed disappointed, nearly angry, when I told him I didn't have time to come over. I knew it would take me at least an hour to get to his house, and I already had plans with my girlfriend for the night. I promised Guillaume to meet up the next day. After our phone conversation, I got straight away another message. Come over. I can show you how to travel, time travel. He sent the same message three more times during the evening. When he sent a fourth message, I put my phone on silent. In the morning, I had two mailbox messages from Guillaume. The first was from around 11 p.m. and was very short. Come over, I can show you how to time travel. The second was from around 3 a.m. In this message, Guillaume's voice sounded hoarse. Come over, you can travel through time. You need to try this, I can show you how to time travel. Come over, you can travel through time. I need you to try this. I can show you how to time travel. Come over. You can travel through time. You need to try this. I can show you how to time travel. Come. Yom's voice paused for a moment, then he screamed, Help! And the message ended. I tried to call Guillaume when I heard his messages, but his phone was dead. I checked my email and finally Facebook. His page was filled with several people asking Guillaume to stop spamming them and one saying that he must have a spam bot in his email. Then I saw his last status from 1 a.m. the same morning. I can show you how to travel, how to time travel. It had about 40 likes and several comments. The first were asking Guillaume for his secret, but the recent comments were all asking Guillaume to stop spamming their inbox. Throughout the night he had sent me 14 messages, nearly all identical, except that two of them had spelling errors. 
They all said the same thing. I can show you how to time travel. I wrote back asking him to stop and tried again to call Gilm, but his phone was still dead. The whole day I was able, well, actually I was unable to get in touch with him. Text messages, phone, email, Facebook. But Guillaume didn't respond. I wasn't sure whether Guillaume was still available for our evening meetup. Still, right after work, I drove over to his place. I hadn't been there in years and got lost on the way. My mobile phone finally led me in the right direction. Just then, when I was about five minutes from his house, I got another message from Guillaume. When you come over, I can show you how to time travel. Guillaume's house looked strange. All the curtains were drawn and his car was parked half on the street and half on his front lawn. I stopped my car in front of his garage. Before I was even able to get out of the car, Guillaume came running out of the front door. He had a wide grin on his pale face. Come in, he shouted. Quick, quick, come in. He grabbed my arm and pulled me away before I was even able to lock the car. What's wrong with you, I asked. Everything's great, Guillaume said. I can show you how to time travel. I played along with his joke. I felt guilty that he had it all planned for April Fools and was sad that I hadn't been there. The moment I stepped inside the living room, I knew I was wrong. The smell of burnt plastic hurt my lungs and made me cough. Come in, come in, said Guillaume. The curtains on the back windows were drawn, too, and the furniture was pushed toward the walls. Only one large floor lamp was lighting the room from the direction of the kitchen. On the wooden floor in the center of the living room were several plastic sheets. Guillaume pulled me towards one of the two plastic sheets lying flat on the floor, a heap of grayish powder at the end near me. Two more plastic sheets were crumpled in the corner of the room. I noticed they were a darker color. Stay still, said Guillaume, while he placed me at one end of the plastic sheet. He smiled while he grabbed a handful of the white powder and kneeled. Stay still, he said again. I'll show you how to time travel. It took me a moment to realize the single floor lamp behind me, to see my shadow placed perfectly on the sheet. Guillaume quickly moved and quickly put a thin line of the gray powder around the edges of my shadow. What are you doing? I asked. Time travel, he said. When Guillaume reached my head, I had my first realization. Guillaume was using his left hand. He'd always been right-handed, but he was using his left hand to place the powder. The grin on Guillaume's face began to grow when he finished my head, grabbed another handful of powder, and moved over to the other side of the sheet to outline the other side of my shadow. The moment Guillaume knelt on the other side, I had my second realization. Guillaume didn't have a shadow. I stepped backward. My shadow grew. Guillaume stopped distributing power and looked at me. His grin was gone. Stay still, he said. Stop it, I said. I can show you how to time travel, he said. You have to time travel. I took two steps toward the front door. Guillaume got up, the powder still in his hand. You have to time travel, he said. Guillaume took a step toward me. I took a few steps toward the front door. Guillaume quickly followed me. I took another step and then began to run.
Guillaume was close behind me. Time travel, he screamed. I pulled the front door open. Guillaume tried to grab my arm. I pulled it away and ran out to the door. He froze for a moment, then he ran after me. Time travel, he screamed. I can show you how to time travel. I pulled my car door open, leapt inside, and slammed the door shut. I just managed to lock the door before Guillaume pulled the handle. Guillaume grimaced and stepped backward. I pressed the key in the ignition, turned it. Outside, Guillaume threw his gray powder on the floor and pulled something out of his pocket. Just when I began to pull backward, he lit a match. I will show you how to time travel, he screamed. The car moved away from Guillaume's garage just when the powder began to burn. Only when I got on the street did I realize that the fire was just right next to where my car had been. Guillaume hadn't tried to throw the powder on my car. He had thrown it on the car's shadow. Time travel! screamed Guillaume while I pulled away. On the drive home, I convinced myself that it was all just a prank. When I got home, I was half expecting to find a video of myself online. Instead, I realized that I couldn't access Guillaume's Facebook page anymore. I still can't. I still can't access his page and I can't reach him. I thought about calling the police or maybe social services or somebody else that deals with mental problems. But late that night I got another text message from a mutual friend of ours from college. It was Dakota, our chemist friend. And since then she has sent me 30 more messages. And they all say the exact same thing. Come on over. I can show you how to time travel. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. I hope you enjoyed I Can Show You How to Time Travel by Anton Scheller. Up next, we've got another batch of frightening fiction from author Sarah Piper. 
waiting to whet your appetite for the macabre. Before we take the moonlit trail into our next tarrying tome, however, allow me to tell you about another of today's sponsors, Lightstream, and how they can help listeners, such as yourself, get out of a far less paranormal predicament. Are you, or someone you know, being kept up at night, not by the threat of what's lurking under your bed, but by the balance of your credit cards, or by interest rates in the double digits? <laughs> well, if you are, and you're looking for a way to save some extra money this summer, and wouldn't mind getting the specter of debt off your back, why not start by paying less on your credit card balances right now? Thanks to Lightstream, you can do just that. And unlike other financial institutions that offer loans, the folks at Lightstream reward people with good credit, who are paying higher interest than they ought to be. You can start taking back control of your finances today, and make the smart decision to pay off your credit card debt with a loan from Lightstream. Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from 5.95% APR with auto pay. This means you could save thousands in interest starting as soon as the day you apply. You can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000 and there are no fees. Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, it's not. And you can find out for yourself today. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Lightstream is a division of SunTrust Bank one of the nation's largest financial institutions, so you can have complete peace of mind knowing you're dealing with a reputable company with decades of experience helping people just like you. Their online application process and calculator is remarkably simple and gives you an idea as to the range of rates and interest based on a few quick questions without pressuring you at all. Did you know the average for interest rates on loans of this type are 19% APR nationwide, and other lenders can take 48 hours or longer to approve the transfer of funds. It's true, but Lightstream is different. With their low rates and quick approvals, you can receive the funds you need to move on with your life and start getting out of debt faster than you ever thought possible. Because we all know we've got better things to worry about. And the best part yet, Lightstream is so serious about helping listeners like you that they're coming to you with a special offer today to let them know that Otis Jarry sent you. Want to save even more? My listeners get an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash told. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash told. Subject to credit approval, rate includes 0.5% auto pay discount, terms and conditions apply, and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash told for more information. Now that I've done my part to help you sleep a little bit easier when it comes to financial concerns, I feel more comfortable ruining your night in a totally different way, with another heaping helping of horror. Our third story tonight from author Sarah Piper tells of a lurid local legend that might just have more truth to it than anyone might want to admit. 
but will our protagonist discover the facts before it's too late? Stay tuned. You're about to find out. Our third tale this evening is presented by author Sarah Piper. I give to you Gristle. There's a myth in my town, an urban legend that was told to me by my uncle one night in a hushed whisper. He said he didn't want my parents finding out that he'd been the one to tell me, but that a girl my age should know what's out there. I nodded, and to eight-year-old me's credit, kept the secret for the next two days. The legend goes like this. A century ago, a man was exiled from our small town of Sutton for a list of crimes that changes with each retelling, the worst of which is rarely anything more dramatic than victimless arson. The town banished him, but he refused to leave. Whenever he was dragged to the edge of the town, he simply walked right back in. When guards were posted to keep him out, he would slip in during the night. There were talks of executing him on sight, but it was decided that his crimes weren't severe enough, no matter how much of a nuisance his persistence had become. After almost a month of this, the people of Sutton just gave up. The guards were relieved of their post, and the man was allowed to wander the streets in broad daylight. He could be in Sutton, it was decided, but Sutton itself would have nothing to do with him. To a man, every resident staunchly refused to acknowledge his existence. This excommunication wreaked havoc on the man's mind. Already weary from a month of living in the woods, scavenging what he could and doing everything in his power to get back into the town, he now found himself surrounded by amenities of which he could not partake. Shelter, food, companionship. Even drinking the water was barred to him by men who would carry on a conversation as they pulled him back, as though they were simply transporting goods. Forced to live on the streets, he went to desperate measures to survive. He was observed on more than one occasion to bite the head off of rats, letting the blood spill into his mouth and screaming hatefully at those who walked past with scornful looks. Most were certain that, even with the vermin problem plaguing the city, he would surely die of starvation in the coming weeks. But he didn't. He grew ever more gaunt with each passing day, but he never actually died. Remains of his meals were found more and more gnawed, eventually reaching a point where it was clear that he was chewing on the bones, desperate for one more ounce of nourishment. When local chickens started going missing, there was no question on anyone's mind who had taken them. The witch hunt began anew, this time fueled by the grotesque physical form. The people of Sutton no longer felt execution to be too great a punishment. They were ready to put the ordeal behind them, no matter what it took. Unfortunately for them, after nearly a year of being invisible, the exiled man had gotten very good at it. They searched for weeks, but he could never be reliably tracked. The odd report of a freakishly skinny creature that couldn't be more than flesh and bone would come in and be investigated, but it would be long gone by then. 
leaving nothing behind but animal remains that had been chewed to the bone. They started calling him the Gristle, and shortly afterward they started calling him an It. He wasn't the exiled man anymore. It was a monster, a menace plaguing our small town. The sightings became fewer and farther between, but it stayed in the town's memory passed down from one generation to the next. I had nightmares for weeks after hearing the story. I couldn't eat anything with bones without becoming terrified that I would turn into the gristle, withering away to an emaciated abomination. My parents chided my uncle for telling a young child such a terrifying story, but he maintained that I needed to know that it may save my life one day. Although the memory faded, it never went away. In my first month as a high school junior, two people went missing a week apart. The first was a bagger from the grocery store, a guy I'd seen around but never really known. Sutton wasn't a big town, though, so it was weird for a man to just disappear like that. The second was my best friend, Casey. I'd been one of the few people close to him since kindergarten, and part of me resented how concerned everyone suddenly seemed now that he was missing. A dull sense of unease set into the air around Sutton, infecting everyone it came in contact with. Naturally, my mind immediately went to the gristle. I pictured it out there, lurking in the shadows, waiting for the right time to strike as it gnawed on Casey's thigh. Casting wary glances up and down the street, I quickly crossed and headed up the steps to school. The latching of the door behind me provided a small comfort. Casey's disappearance was all anyone wanted to talk about. People threw around the terms serial killer and suicide cult without thinking about what they were saying, although I supposed my explanation, cannibalistic monster, didn't exactly put me in a better position than them. Instead, I kept my mouth shut and my head down and tried my best to focus on school. Sucks about Casey. A girl in third period teased from behind me, I closed my eyes and rubbed my temples, wishing I had the ability to block out a person's entire existence. Some people are saying he ran away, but I just don't see how. Madeline, my tormentor, paused to let the statement sink in. I got it, of course, but I wasn't going to give her the satisfaction of acknowledgement. You hear what I said, Ruby? She sniggered to herself, obviously getting ready for a retelling. I said some folks say he ran away, but I'd... D Shut your damn mouth, I said, half turning in my seat. The class around us got quiet, and I became very interested in a spot on my desk. Madeline didn't say anything more to me for the rest of the class, but I could feel her slimy grin on the back of my head. At lunch, I went up to the roof of the school, sitting in a corner that overlooked a nearby park couple played fetch with their dog, though they were obviously more interested in each other than the animal. Once again, my mind conjured up the image of a scrawny man hiding in the bushes, praying an errant throw and carnal distraction would net him a nice meal of filet of dog. Or maybe he wanted the whole package. Maybe the gristle was climbing silently through the trees, getting just above his prey before... Hey! 
The cry shook me out of my train of thought, and I turned around. Madeline stood a few paces away from me, holding her lunch bag in both hands in front of her. If I hadn't known any better, I'd have said she almost looked contrite. Can I eat with you? I'd rather you be the gristle. Sure, make yourself comfortable. Come to make some more fun of me and my missing best friend? Actually, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. She took a seat beside me, pulling out her to lunch, a Tupperware container packed to the brim with the most colorful salad I'd ever seen. She popped the lid off and picked up a plastic fork inside as she spoke. I'm sorry for how that came across. I, I didn't mean to make fun. I don't know how else I could have taken it. Hearing an apology from Madeline was not something I wanted to listen to. I didn't want to think of her as just as flawed and complex a human as the rest of us. Ah, uh, you're right, she admitted after a bite of her own salad. My own stomach rumbled around the peanut butter sandwich I had to eat. It was called, uncalled for, and I'm really genuinely sorry. She set her fork down in her food and extended her hand to mine. Can you forgive me? I eyed the invitation warily. Maybe she was going to try to throw me off the roof. Even though I decided that wasn't likely. If that was her goal, she would have just snuck up on me and tried to kick me over. I still braced myself with one arm as I held the other. We shook on it and I nodded. Sure, you're forgiven. Is that it? Well, there's one more thing. See, I, I'm having a little get-together tonight because my dad's out of town, like, for a month, the next month, and I was wondering if you'd want to come. I did not. Eh, I don't do so well in crowds. I'm kind of a lo Oh, no crowds. She shook her head, smiling, as if she'd just performed a miracle to tailor the party to my satisfaction. Just a couple of the girls, you know, Shelley, Yvonne, Pauline, Caitlin. She waved her hand in the air. The girls. My mind raced to think of another way to weasel out. Tonight? I can't. I've got... Oh, come on. Please? Madeline begged, bouncing up and down in a way that had almost certainly been used in the past to make things go her way. I really want to make it up to you. I promise you it'll be fun. And I promise no Casey talk at all. None. Unless you want to. You know, like honor his memory or whatever. It's not dead, Madeline. Just missing. Her eyes lit up. Right. Positivity. Uh, so you'll come? I let out a long breath. How can I say no in the face of such stubbornness? Great, it's a date. She popped up to her feet, casually dropping the remains of her lunch back into her bag before sauntering off. I stared out at across the park once more, mulling over the conversation in my mind. I noticed that the couple and their dog were no longer in sight. I laughed softly to myself and then chewed my bottom lip in worry. The rest of the day passed by uneventfully. I didn't have any other classes with Madeline, which was a relief. But the moment I unlatched my locker after the final bell, she was there, leaning against the lockers and grinning at me. Are you ready to go? she asked. What, now? Totally. 
My house isn't that far away. We can walk from here and beat the others. She leaned closer to my ear and continued in a stage whisper, and drink all the vodka. I blushed. I was being thrust into a world of after-school socializing and underage and sobriety that I wasn't sure I was comfortable with, but still, some damnable part of me wanted her approval. I wanted to be cool, so I laughed with her. Uh, sure, sounds great, I stammered. She led me away by the arm, barely giving me time to slam my locker shut, before dragging me out the door and onto the path to her house. You're going to love it, she gushed, practically skipping down the sidewalk. My brother really went all out, got the expensive stuff. The bottle it comes in is shaped like, well, you, you know what? You'll see it when we get there. She giggled to herself again, as if laughing at an in-joke that only she got. I tried to laugh with her again, but I was concentrating mostly on keeping up with her long, quick gait. Just as we were coming up on her house, a dark green minivan pulled out of her driveway just in front of us. The driver backed up to be able to see us through the passenger side window. It was her brother, Adrian. Hey, get in the car. He sounded worried and out of breath. Both of us froze, looking at him, and Madeline quickly rushed out ahead of me, doing as she was told. Adrian leaned over her as she buckled her seatbelt. Sorry, family emergency. Yeah, no, I... I held my hands apart to signal I understood. He pulled out of the driveway before I could finish talking and slammed on the gas, tires skidding against the road before launching the siblings into the distance. I watched the car drive off, and it suddenly dawned on me that what was supposed to be a 25-minute trip now became a 50-minute detour in the opposite direction of my house. I took a deep breath in, trying to get rid of my pessimism. Madeline had no way of knowing there'd be an emergency. Maybe it was something terrible. Maybe the gnawed-on remains of a loved one had been found by the side of the road. I dismissed the thought as soon as I had it, even though I didn't want that for her. The walk back home was a slow one. The autumn sky was getting dark much earlier these days, and the ambiance was both eerie and comforting. I let my mind wander as I walked, and it took me right back to Madeline's emergency, my cynical nature once again assuming the worst. Before the thought slipped away again, however, something odd occurred to me. There hadn't been any remains found of the other two disappearances. The gristle, as it had been explained to me by my uncle, didn't care to keep the remains, only to feed its insatiable hunger. The thought was briefly comforting, until I realized this most likely meant there was a serial killer loose in Sutton. And here I was, a young girl walking home alone at twilight. Shivering, I wrapped my jacket tighter around myself, and picked up my pace, hurrying home as quickly as I could. The next morning, I woke to the sound of my mother yelling in surprise. News travels fast in a small town, and my mom told me the bad news as soon as I walked into the kitchen, having just hung up the phone with a friend of hers. Adrian's body had been found. Only a few hours beforehand, one of my former elementary school teachers had called the police 
regarding a strange mass lying on the side of the road. She was afraid to go near it, and waited nearly twenty minutes for an officer to arrive and check it out. Four minutes later, another dozen showed up. Mutilated was a kind way to describe what had happened to Adrian. His insides were just gone, presumably removed through a gaping chasm in his abdomen. Several of his ribs had been broken in the process, the fragments carelessly strewn about his lifeless body. The police made it very clear that, despite the vicious nature of the incident, they still had no reason to suspect it was anything more than an animal attack. The people of Sutton disagreed. Panic spread rapidly and accusations began to fly. Everyone wanted everyone else's whereabouts accounted for, despite the fact that damn near everybody was at home asleep when the attack occurred. Tensions were high, people wanted accountability, and they wanted it now. Shockingly, the most level-headed person through the whole ordeal was Madeline herself. The girl looked downright exhausted. The deep bags under her swollen, puffy eyes told more of a story than she ever could have with her words. She barely had the energy to stand upright during the press releases the police regularly put out, often leaning on nearby objects for support. After a day or two of this, she stopped going out in public altogether. The entire situation left me confused. What on earth was happening? Two disappearances without so much as even a trace of evidence, then a grisly, possibly cannibalistic murder? And I had seen Adrian, spoken with him even, only hours before the attack. What had the family emergency been? And how did Madeline not know what had happened to her own brother? An image of the gristle popped into my mind, but I ignored it. Even if my uncle's tale was real, none of it fit. School was back in session the following Monday, but attendance was low. Many people had opted to take timely vacations or even just stay at home until this whole event had blown over. My mother, worrywart though she was, had made it clear that I would not be such a person. She had arranged with a neighbor to have their daughter walk to and from school with me. So, together with Clara, a girl two years my junior, I walked to school. We made idle chit-chat on the way, but it was clear we were very different people. For the next few days, people slowly figured out how to adjust to the new normal. Madeline didn't attend school, though nobody really expected her to. Clara and I became more comfortable with walking together in silence, no longer feeling the need to force awkward conversation. Sutton, unlikely though it may have once seemed, might not be doomed to eat itself alive after all. When an entire week went by without incident, we all collectively breathed an uneasy sigh of relief. It wasn't until the following week that I saw Madeline again, she leaned with her back against her car, the same minivan I had last seen Adrian in. She was wearing wide, dark sunglasses and stood facing the school, though I knew she was watching me. The final bell had rung, and I was waiting on the steps for Clara, as usual. Madeline beckoned me towards her, and I reluctantly approached, giving the crowd of students another scan for my travel buddy. Madeline didn't say anything as I walked toward her, and I wasn't sure what to say back. 
Sorry your brother died? Nothing I could think of felt appropriate, so I stayed silent. Even as I stood directly in front of her, the two of us sizing one another up. Want to come to that party? And she finally offered. I was completely off balance. I shook my head, sure I'd misheard her. I'm sorry. It's back on. The girls are already in the van. Looking past her, I could see she was right. There were four other girls from our school waiting in the van, watching our conversation. None of them smiled. I can't, the whole, you know, thing. Nothing about this felt right. Why did she want to have the party only a couple of weeks after the death of her brother? And wouldn't her parents have been contacted by now? Come on, you're a big girl. You can spend one... Who's that? Madeline's head tilted slightly, indicating she was looking past me. I turned around and saw Clara walking up to us, a bemused expression on her face. This is Clara. We walk home together every day. I was grateful beyond belief for Clara's timely arrival. I took a few steps back, standing beside her, and jabbed my thumb in the air in the direction of our homes. So we should be taking off. Madeline watched me for a long, silent moment, as if considering her next move very carefully. She knocked twice on the side of the minivan, and the doors opened, the other partygoers approaching the two of us with determination. "'What the hell?' I said, trying to run just as the tall blonde thrust her arm out, clotheslining me. I fell onto my back, clutching my throat, while another girl made a move toward Clara." My travel partner ran as fast as she could, the loud slaps of her sandals against the sidewalk ringing in my ears. Gasping for breath, I looked up to see Madeline's sneering visage staring down back at me. Get in the van, she commanded, and her lackeys did as they were told. I fought against them, but I was no match against four other people. Madeline moved to the driver's seat and sped off down the road in the direction of her house. Let me go! Let me go. One of the girls, holding me down, shoved a rag in my mouth, muffling my protests. Madeline completely ignored me. You killed my brother, you worthless piece of garbage. The minivan drove wildly down the road, careening from side to side under the instruction of its unbalanced operator. That was supposed to be you that night, not him. I had no idea what she was talking about, but I wasn't going to go down without a fight. Wrenching my left ankle free, I kicked against the back of the driver's seat, rewarded by a satisfying beep of the horn as Madeline's forehead impacted it. She swore loudly and jerked the car to the left, barely avoiding a collision with a tree. Get her under control! She shrieked at the four girls holding me down. We finally came to a stop and the girls unloaded me from the minivan, still kicking and screaming to the best of my ability, and brought me into the house. I was dropped unceremoniously on the floor, and with a fistful of my hair, Madeline dragged me through the house, bringing me to the cellar door. Down you go, she said, giving my hair a powerful yank that sent me tumbling end over end down the rough wooden steps. The experience was a jumbled mess of pain and panic, as my limbs shot out everywhere only to be jammed painfully against the sharp corner of a step 
dragged against a rough patch of the guardrail, or just crushed under my own falling weight. When I finally came to a rest on the cold cement floor at the bottom of the stairs, part of me hoped that Madeline would be merciful enough to just shoot me in the head next time. My dad was the first to go, Madeline told me as she descended the stairs slowly. But he didn't die right away, and he said it was all right. He said Adrian and I had his money anyway, and now we had something nobody else had, something that would let us do whatever we wanted. What the hell were you talking about? I moaned, crawling away from her. I raised my head and took in the room around me. Massive mounds of dirt were piled against the walls, and it wasn't hard to figure out where they'd come from. In the far corner of the room was a huge, deep hole, much wider across than I was tall. A sledgehammer and a shovel stood propped up against the wall beside it. Then Frank, because Adrian owed him money, he didn't feel like paying. Madeline continued. She stood on the bottom stair, her friends standing at various heights behind her, and all of them looked down at me with contempt. And then your little fat friend. And you know why I chose him? My head was reeling from pain and fear. I had no concept of what she was talking about, no understanding of what was happening. She walked towards me and kicked me in the side, making me roll toward the hole. Another blow came, harder this time, and I screamed in agony as she violently herded me toward the pit. It was only when I was looking down into it that I finally understood. I picked pudgy little Casey just because I wanted to see how much it would eat. The gristle looked like nothing I had imagined. Its fingers were long and gnarled. The nails warped into hideous blackened claws. Lidless, bloodshot eyes stared up at me from withered lips, and its teeth were mismatched in length. But to a one, they were chipped and broken into jagged, fearsome-looking instruments. As grotesque as its features were, its skin was the worst. Gray, almost to the point of translucence, with thick blue veins crisscrossing it like a road map, and all stretched tightly across its bones. It stood on two impossibly thin legs and lunged against the dirt wall just below me. Its emaciation made it look as though it would snap like a twig, but it seemed to still possess a monstrous strength. And then it was supposed to be you, Ruby. You were supposed to die that day, but it broke out of its chains, and we had to hunt the freak down. She paused to spit at the gristle, and it howled up at her in response. Adrian died getting it back under control and in my possession, and I'm not going to let that go to waste. You'll be its last meal, then it can rot in there for all I care. Whoa, whoa, wait, Madeline. You can't be serious, please. I... Save it. Madeline looked down at me with more hatred than I'd ever seen in another human being. You two deserve each other. She gave a short nod, and a moment later the other girls were lifting me up and shoving me into the pit. Those few seconds were the longest of my life. I stared into the gristle's eyes as it stared back into mine, its fangs bared in preparation for its next meal. You need to know the tale. 
I heard my uncle's voice and desperately searched the story in my mind, trying to recall any kind of weakness he may have mentioned. But there wasn't any. It was just a monster that fed on whatever it could find and disappeared before it could be hunted down. How was the tale of some deranged man supposed to... It may save your life one day. Run! The impact with the hard dirt floor was more painful than I'd anticipated, cutting off my cry. The gristle gave a low snarl, and a thick strand of drool fell from between its parted lips. I could see its legs tense as it got ready to pounce. Wait! I tried again. Wait! You're human! You're human, right? An eerie silence fell over the basement in the span of a second as everyone, the gristle included, stared at me. I seized the opportunity. You're just a man, right? You just want to eat. What are you doing? Madeline asked, seemingly to the both of us. There's your dinner. Eat it, despite her demand. The gristle took a single step towards me as if prompting me to continue. What do you say we get out of here? My heart was racing in my chest. I couldn't believe I hadn't been eaten yet. I'll help you out, and then you can... I raised my eyes to Madeline's quickly paling face. Eat. What are you waiting for? Madeline shrieked, thrusting her finger out towards me. Eat her! Eat her! Despite her protests, the gristle remained still. I propped myself up against the nearest edge, and the gristle hesitantly approached me. I looked into its eyes, still unsure if this plan was even working. Stop them. The blonde, who had clotheslined me, moved around the edge of the pit above us, but I didn't pay any attention to her. My focus was solely on the thing in front of me, giving off a low, uncertain snarl. It suddenly leapt at me faster than I could react, and I felt a momentary crushing weight on my shoulders. And then screaming. I sank to my knees and buried my face in between my legs while the cavernous basement was filled with the sound of screaming and wet cracks and the gristles of the worldly howls. One by one the screams were messily silenced until all that was left was a weak, burbling voice that I could tell was Madeline's. It's not... not she was cut off by a loud, hollow snap. What came next was arguably worse. The gristle began to feed. The noises it made were all too plain, all too clear to indicate what it was doing. It ate like it had never eaten before, tearing the girls open and making obnoxious breathing sounds as it stuffed whatever it could get its hands on into its face. This went on for what seemed like hours, and alone in the basement, with this eternally hungry abomination, I began to wonder if it would stop with them. What if it didn't remember I'd been the one to help it? What if it just didn't care? I stayed as quiet as I could while it ate, too scared to draw attention to myself. The eating eventually gave way to chewing, which in turn became gnawing, and after that there was another silence. Hesitantly, I looked up. The gristle had squatted down on all fours, looking at me. It didn't move, 
didn't snarl or growl. It just watched me. Its face was now red with viscera, and I could see flecks of flesh stuck between its jagged teeth. It shifted its weight onto one leg and began to extend a blood-covered claw. Bang! 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 Police! Open up! The noise came through the floor below the front door. Before I could react, the gristle was gone. It tore up the steps, and I could hear it burst through a door in the back of the house. I cried for help when the cops came in, having heard what they believed to be a violent commotion. As they came down the stairs, I expected them to react violently to the scene before them. But the worst reaction was a displeased, Oh, God! When they hauled me out of the pit, I found out why. The gristle had eaten five teenage girls to the bone. Not a shred of flesh or a streak of blood remained anywhere in the basement. Just a thousand bones all picked over, and most bearing hungry, desperate teeth marks. I found out later that Clara had run home crying and told her parents what had happened to me, who in turn called my parents. They called the cops and sent them over as quickly as they could. Apparently they got there half an hour after I was abducted. I tell them that that can't be right, it can't be. I gave a statement and left nothing out. In the Sutton Police Department files right now, there's a piece of paper that describes my encounter with a century-old monster and a very hungry man. They didn't believe me, of course. They blamed it all on PTSD after I was kidnapped by a cannibal cult. I smile and nod when they tell me that, and thank them for the pills I'll never take. These days, I, I don't really have many people to talk to. The ones who are willing to talk to me at all treat me like I'm some sort of wounded bird, psychologically scarred by my experience as a teenager, and the rest just think I'm a liar at best and a cannibal murderer at worst. So I stick to myself in my one-bedroom apartment, but that suits me just fine. It's the five-year anniversary of that day tomorrow, and I'm expecting a little gift soon. Every year on the day of, I get a present on my doorstep. The bones of a small woodland animal, pocked with teeth marks and stripped of the meat, except one. Sometimes it's a leg, sometimes just a single rib, but it's always untouched. And every year I eat the meat to the bone. Lately, I'm just feeling so hungry. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Thanks for joining me tonight for Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you like what you heard and would like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's episode, which includes two more terrifying tales, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. 
You'll find yourself on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, where you can sign up for a season pass and get access to all 24 ad-free extended episodes from this season, or sign up as a patron for just $5 per month and get access to not just my show, but our network's audio archive of hundreds of previous releases, including premium versions of our other shows. Not only that, but you'll be lending your support to this very program and help me continue bringing nightmares to life each and every week. Thanks again to today's sponsors, Robin Hood and Lightstream, for their support of this show. Don't forget, Robin Hood is giving listeners of Scary Stories Told in the Dark a free stock, like Apple, Ford, or Sprint, to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at scarystories.robinhood.com. And another reminder, my listeners can save even more with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream with an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash told. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash told. Subject to credit approval, rate includes 0.5% auto pay discount, terms and conditions apply, and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash told for more information. Until next week, Stay spooky and get some sleep if you can. <laughs>
and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well. To get more spooky tales from me and the crew, and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.